from Kirko Media. So what you gonna do about it? I'll tell you what I'm gonna do about it. Hi, it's Joey Salvia, and I help produce this podcast. Today, we're trying something a little different. It's a Jane and Bill conversation moderated by me. I'm going to throw a few topics at our hosts, and they're going to tackle each topic one at a time, offer up their thoughts, and in some cases, solutions. That's right. Can you believe it? Potential solutions. We'll let them rant for a while, but then we'll move on to another subject. No specific order, no overall topic, just bits and pieces. This is politics. Meet me in the middle. I'm Bill Curtis. Well, again, my co-host, Jane Albrecht, an international trade attorney who for a decade protected the First Amendment rights for the film industry internationally. She's a member of the U.S. Supreme Court Bar, and she's also been involved in several U.S. presidential campaigns. Hey, Jane, how you doing? Nice to have you back. Great. Nice to see you too, Bill. Let me introduce you to our producer, Joey Salvia. He's a veteran producer with over two decades of experience, and today... He's in charge. This is going to be his subject matter, his choice. How are you doing, Joey? I'm well. Thank you, Bill. Great to see you too, Jane. You just might regret giving me complete power for this episode, though. (laughs) I know. I'm nervous. Jane, I don't know about you, but this could be bad. This could be. Well, the good thing is, just like the people of our fine country who seem to forget who's boss, I'm not about to forget that you're the man who actually pays me, Bill. So there are term limits for my job today. And in this case, it's only one episode where I get to control the situation. All right, Joey, it's your call. We work for you. So let's start with my hometown of New York City. Let's go to the early days of the pandemic, where Governor Cuomo seemed to have everything under control with his daily PowerPoint presentation. Jane, Bill, we're talking Governor Cuomo, the New York nursing home scandal. Uh. I'll let you go first on this, Bill. Well, you know, Jane, first of all, I I have a pet peeve. I don't understand why people who live in the public arena, politicians, don't seem to think through how they're going to deal with situations like this in advance. When they get backed into a corner, how do they handle it? Do they defend themselves? Do they try to cover it up? Certainly, politicians who have been thrown out of office and banished, for the most part, it's because they've tried to cover something up. Why don't politicians admit that they're human? Sometimes they make mistakes. They're not perfect. I think sometimes politicians do and sometimes they don't. I've got a very different take on this whole Cuomo nursing home scandal. Okay. I think it's to a certain degree a tempest in a teapot. It's not to say that the death of these people was not important and it was reported. But all in all, I think Cuomo did a darn good job of managing one of the toughest part of the pandemics. They were the first city to get hit big. And the federal government wasn't doing much and didn't really have any kind of organized response and help. And he did one of the best jobs I think just about any governor could have. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be put in this situation of having to make the decision to close down New York City for the first time ever, maybe. Here's the issue. Cuomo was being blamed for 10,000 plus quick deaths in nursing homes because he chose to move people there from hospitals that were sick. Here's the real deal. And this is why I started off by saying, why don't politicians stop sabotaging themselves? And why don't they admit when they're actually human and they're trying to do the best they can? So what was our big problem in New York in the beginning of the pandemic, in the early part of March? What was our big fear? Hospitals, right? 
Mm-hmm. Are they going to get filled up? Are we going to run out of ventilators? Are we going to be able to, are we going to have to turn people away from hospitals? That was the big fear. People were counting how many ventilators we had. So then what happens? You have people in hospitals who are still sick, but can be discharged. So what are you going to do with them? Now, in New York City, eventually, they built Javits Center. That was, that was one option, right? But what's the other option? Are you going to take someone who's sick and send them home? No. I think all of this is Monday morning quarterbacking. Of course it is, but that's what everybody's doing. They're, they're hanging this guy up for this. and I think part of this is New York politics, too. Cuomo's been in power a long time. He's got Democratic enemies, and they're coming out of the workforce to pile on. He made a decision based on the emergency at the time, which was emptying the hospitals of people so that we can allow sick people who needed hospital beds access to those beds. Mm -hmm. So what was he going to do? He wasn't going to send them home. Mm -hmm. There's no place else to send them. So the nursing homes appeared to be the right move. Now, would he make that decision again today after knowing what he knows now? Maybe, maybe not. Why is it that he can't stand up and say, you might be right, Maybe sending these people to nursing homes was a bad idea because, frankly, nursing homes could get infected by these people. However, nobody's given me a better idea yet. And we did have to move these people out of the hospital. But my understanding is that the problem isn't that. The, the, the brouhaha is over the fact that a certain number of people who had been in nursing homes died in hospitals. And in, rather than reporting them as deaths in nursing homes, they were reported as deaths in hospitals. That was part of the defense mechanism, the cover-up. They started creating numbers of how many people died in nursing homes because of the attack of Cuomo, when clearly, you have to admit, I don't know about you, but I I watched the Cuomo daily news conference every single day. He did a great job. He was a better leader than we had anywhere in the country at the time. Uh Uh-huh. Why do you think this is such a big deal, Bill? What bothers you about it so much? Because of the massive attack that he's living through right now, where we're forgetting everything that he did. We're forgetting the fact that he was learning a language that we didn't know yet. He was learning a pandemic we didn't understand yet. And he was doing the best he could. And he was doing better than anyone else. And he was being attacked by Washington. He was being attacked, attacked, attacked. And he still found a way to get New York City to the point where the numbers started going down because of the way he was sensibly treating the subject matter. And now we're hanging this guy out to dry. I think there's a couple things going on. I think this is a classic case of Democrats eating their own. You're seeing that Republicans eat their own right now after they've lost an election, and that's pretty common in both parties. Once you lose an election, everybody's going to want to find the guilty party. But the Democrats are pretty good at doing it, even when they're not losing elections. The other thing going on here that you just can't ignore is there's a lot of internal New York politics going on underneath it all. But at the end of the day, it's Democrats eating their own. Granted, and maybe that's created the environment where Cuomo doesn't feel like he can stand up and say, got a better idea? I mean, has anyone come up with a better idea of what you could do with patients who no longer had to be in the hospital, but were still sick? You couldn't send them home. Where are you going to send them? Right. And not only that, but I would hate to be a governor or a president when a pandemic like this comes along. I don't care how great a job you do of managing it. There's a ton of unpopular decisions you're going to have to make. And those decisions are judgment calls. Often unfairly, you're going to get blamed for everything that went wrong. So it's just not an an enviable thing. So in the case of Cuomo, I think he did it about as well as anyone could. 
and probably better than most of his critics could. Well, it seems the governor now has a lot more to deal with besides how he handled hospitals and nursing homes, as sexual harassment accusations begin to threaten his legacy. We'll keep an eye on that story, but when we return, our two hosts will give you their thoughts on misinformation and conspiracy theories. This is Politics. Meet me in the middle. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co. Media. Currently 21 years old, and today I felt like I'm magic read extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your me, voice. Trust me, every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies. Wonders to whom she should give the second dice. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in life. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kurtcocom slash a moment of your time. We're back, and so are the lies. Damn lies and people who choose to believe them. From QAnon, the bizarre Pizzagate story, lasers from space, to an alarming amount of our public convinced that our presidential election was fixed. Strange days indeed. Where do we even begin? I want to start by asking you, do you think the people who believe in these hoaxes, in lasers from space that started fires in California, in pizza restaurants where pedophiles are downstairs drinking the blood of children. Do you think that anyone actually believes that to be true? Or is that kind of a game that wraps people up and they enjoy the concept of living in that space? Or do you think that we have a society here in this country that can believe bizarre concepts? In terms of these really bizarre conspiracy theories like the the Pizzagate involving the pedophiles in the basement of a pizzeria on Capitol Hill and lasers from outer space controlled by Jews who were starting forest fires. I believe that a very small percentage of the people believe that. I think there are some pretty nutty people out there who believe that, but there'll always be people like that. But there are other conspiracy theories that people do believe in and we know have bought hook, line, and sinker, like the last election being stolen. What is it, 55 million people still believe that? That's scary. Well, Jane, have you ever had a teacher that you really just adored where anything that they could say would influence your thought process? Did you ever have a pastor? I'm sure our listeners have a pastor that they would listen to no matter what. There are people we trust, right, in our society? Sure. So in theory, one of them should be our president. In theory. What I believe is, by the way, once you elect a president, whether you voted for that president or not, you're supposed to get behind that president. You're supposed to wish for their success, and you're supposed to work for their success, because their success is our success. Mm -hmm. We had an interesting kind of president that we just got done with four years of. That president had a following, and that following looked to him the way they would look to a pastor, whose words mean something. And that president said, the election was stolen from me. And they bought it. They bought it. But I don't think the people who bought it, Bill, were just the extreme right wing. I think there's a large chunk of the American public, and it's definitely a large chunk of the Republican Party, who over time 
kept buying the misinformation and lies. And anyone knows, any expert in cults know that as you get people to accept the smaller lies, then you can feed them bigger lies and they'll still buy it. It wasn't just his extreme right supporters and those that stormed the Capitol on January 6th that believed that the election was stolen. A huge chunk of the American people believe it. And in that sense, we have a huge chunk of the American public that's been brainwashed by phenomenal amounts of misinformation and disinformation that have been spewed out and pumped out over the last 25 years. It then just got ramped up over the last four years. Okay. So let me, let me take some of these lies, damn lies, and people who choose to believe them. When something is proven to not be so, let's say someone stood on a, on a platform and said to the American people, and I'm just you know giving you a for instance, not necessarily in one particular example, COVID is going away. We've rounded the corner. Mm-hmm. But let's say that the next month, COVID is twice as bad as it was the previous month. And the month after that, it's twice as bad as the first month we talked about. Why is it that someone doesn't learn from that and then put kind of a, what is it, a, a shake of salt in the next statement that's made by that same individual? I'm not talking about anybody in particular, just a hypothetical. Well, I'll ask you this. I'll give you my idea, but I'll ask you the same thing. Why don't you answer that first? Why do you think they believe it? You're, you're turning around. You're going to ask me yeah, my question? I am. <laughs> I think it stems to what the actual drivers are in someone's life. There are people who base their entire political leaning on avoiding taxes. If that's their primary focus, I don't want to pay taxes. And I'm afraid the other guy is going to charge me a lot of taxes. I think they allow themselves to be colored by just about anything that can come their way that can support their desire to pay less taxes. I don't think that it's a logical process. I think someone picks a team and then they choose to back whatever that team has as a platform. I think the answer is much more complex than that. I think that if you really look at the history of what happened in the last four years in the election of 2020, didn't just start overnight. It didn't even start four years earlier. It started a long time ago when basically, and I hate to name names, but when the Republican Party adopted its Southern strategy, adopted a strategy to go after the working class and white Southerners on the basis of culture wars. And then you have the entry of of Fox News in 1995. Fox News was never fair and balanced. And that alone was a lie. If they were going to be a conservative network, fine, but they should have said Fox, the conservative network, not the fair and balanced network. Well, they're fair and balanced for the people who listen to the news through the filter of their own opinion. But that's misinformation. That's not being straight. And so what happened is- But there are plenty who say that CNN is misinformation and not straight. You can say what you want, but Fox News is sort of not entirely news, and we all know it. So Fox News has gone more to the right since then with, with uh, O'Reilly. And now Tucker Carlson is one of the most popular things. He's totally not news at all. And Rush Limbaugh himself described himself. Well, those, those, aren't, those aren't billed as news shows. Those are billed as opinion But almost shows. all of Fox is. But the point is that with Roger Ailes as the head of Fox, 
who was very much a Republican operative for years before he went to Fox, the collaboration between Fox News and the Republican Party was very real. And so they started this waltz of talking points every day. And you had a public who was watching them, and it was very slickly packaged and catered to what they wanted to hear, because it was all based on belief and the facts didn't necessarily support them. Okay. You know, Ailes is gone, right? And this is now Murdoch, very much Murdoch. He's not been gone. I'm not letting Murdoch off the hook. And I'm not saying that it's over. It was also based on making money, which is why you have blondes with short skirts and well, well, let's talk about that. Not the blondes with short, short skirts, because I'd get in trouble for that conversation. Mm-hmm. But, but let's talk about the making of money. How does a network like that make money? They attract a crowd, mm-hmm. and then they sell that crowd to the advertiser. That's how they make money. Mm-hmm. So in order for a network that, let's not forget, is a business, because mm-hmm. we sometimes confuse what these things are. Right. They're in the business of getting the largest audience possible and charging the highest rates for their advertising as possible and running as many commercials as they possibly can. And man, is that painful. So I have to ask you this. Why do we as a society put them up on a pedestal and assume that they're something other than a business? They're an entertainment network. They're not a news source. That was exactly the Fox model. And Roger Ailes proved you could make an entertainment and you could drive ratings. Our, our news channels and our news shows used to be based on who had the best one, who won the most journalistic awards. Of course, not to blame this all on Fox News, but move fast forward to the age of social media. And the problem becomes even worse, both in the business model of social media, but also in the ability of unethical political operatives to manipulate the American public and not just the Russians, homegrown ones. That's, that's fair. But Look, let's be honest about this whole Trump thing and the news networks. You know they're missing Trump now. Their audience has already gotten bored. Their audiences have left. They have to bring Trump back for the sake of their ratings. Trump understood both as someone who made his name in tabloid journalism and with tabloid journalism and then as a reality TV star. He knew exactly. He knew very well how media works and he knew how to push their buttons and he knew how to get ratings. No matter how we got there, the sad truth of the matter is millions of Americans, and I'd say it could easily be half or more than half, have been brainwashed over the course of 25 years. What do I mean by brainwashed? I mean, so much of their information is based on inaccuracy. And it was also done for the purpose of manipulating public opinion that they're not operating on the basis of facts anymore. They're operating on the basis of belief, and those beliefs are false beliefs. Well, we certainly haven't seen the last of the reality president TV star whose likeness has been sculpted into a golden statue for his cult to worship. Made in Mexico, by the way. (laughs) And as we heard at CPAC, he's gearing up for a 2024 run. Now let's move on to our next topic. Politics over governance. Oh, well, that's, that's one of my pet peeves. That gets back to Everybody is always worried about the next election. They're always worried about what is this issue or that issue polling like? And it seems like our governors, they're called governors. The word governors comes from governance. They're supposed to be public servants, right? We hire them and we thank them at the end of their lives or at the end of their careers. We thank them for their public service. 
We don't thank them for setting themselves up to get elected six, seven, eight times. We thank them for their service. And what has happened to our government is they're only concerned with their elections. All of their decisions are based on what's going to get them reelected. Very few and far between do you have a, a governor who is prepared to take risks with their career for the benefit of the people that they serve. That's my problem with our current setup. I couldn't disagree with you on that one. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the people who are, I'd say, making a whole lot more noise than they are actually governing. Let's talk about Ted Cruz. Ted Cancun Cruz? I know that we as a society love piling on to things. If I were Ted Cruz, thank goodness I'm not, when I was busted, the first thing he had to do is go, wow, that was a bad decision, wasn't it? <laughs> and then who's going to pile on? The problem is that politicians don't seem to know how to answer the toughest questions. And the toughest questions are about how good a job they're doing and whether or not they're perfect. And our politicians aren't perfect. We shouldn't assume that they are. So why is it he couldn't go, whoops? Because we all would have laughed, he would have gone, now that was a really stupid thing for me to do, wasn't it? I don't think there was a good answer to that one. What wasn't a good answer is the bullshit. This is the, <laughs> oh, I was going down there just to drop off my kids. <laughs> you know, it's, it's surprising the people of Texas uh, find this appealing, shall we say. So what do you think we have to do to get our governors to govern? Well, this change isn't going to happen overnight. I hate to say it, but it does start with campaign finance reform. And so many of our states have been gerrymandered. And historically, both the Democrats and the Republicans have supported it. That's affecting the elections. That's not the driver of how a politician runs their decision making, what they vote for, what they don't, what they'll propose and what they won't. Most people in this country would like some greater regulation about guns. They don't want to give up their guns but they want something to be done to make it a more reasonable situation. And meanwhile, the governors are not governing, they're being political, and they're feeding into the NRA. How can that be a public servant? The only way you give the governors a little more leeway to govern over politics is to loosen the stranglehold of money on our electoral system. Money relates to the gerrymandering. If you've got too many safe districts, if you've got districts that are, are drawn, and the, because the Republicans have controlled a lot of the legislatures in the last 10, 20 years, that they're safe Republican districts and they're more radically right Republican districts, that's how you end up with this kind of situation. And beyond that, it's a personal moral character thing. The problem is, would someone that shows that character during an election get elected these days? That's the problem. Look at all the reasonable Republicans, very conservative, who decided not to run because their judgment was that they wouldn't get past the Republican primary. Jeff Flake in Arizona. Mitt Romney is an exception to the rule. That's the problem. Those people, the ones you'd like to get elected, can they get through the Republican primary? Yep. You're particularly fond of Lindsey Graham. Oh, yeah. One of our, our great patriots. And Lindsey Graham's behavior has been so flip-floppy and at times irrational that it's, I cannot understand it. At times, I have to wonder whether Trump has something on him. I'm not saying I have any information that he does, but his behavior has been so almost inexplicable. So it's trickle down, Putin to Trump to Graham. Well, there might be other sources. Putin might not have anything on Graham. 
But how else do you explain? He was as upset as anyone else about what happened on January 6th. And he condemned Trump for it. And a day or two later, he's on a plane with Trump on the way to Texas. That was bizarre. Okay, we beat that one up, Joey. Well, Bill, we all know that the Republican Party is beating up themselves. And when we come back, we'll get Jane and Bill's take on the beating the middle class is taking these days. On medicine, we're still practicing. Join Dr. Stephen Tabak and Bill Curtis for real conversations with the medical professionals who have their finger on the pulse of healthcare in the modern world. Available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Produced by Kurtco Media. It's politics. Meet me in the middle. Let's talk about the widening gap between the super rich and everyone else, like me, Bill. (laughs) Is this a problem, Jane? (laughs) Explain to me why people feel like it's a problem in our society that the rich are getting richer. I understand why it's a problem that the poor are getting poorer, but why do people feel like it's a problem the rich get rich? I myself wasn't convinced that this was such a problem 10 years ago, and now I do think it's a problem because it has grown greater. It's not just the poor who are getting poorer. The working class hasn't kept up with the wealthy, and they haven't kept up, I don't believe, with inflation. So there's been stagnation in the working class and the middle classes. This creates problems in the society. It really does. There's not enough money. When you talk about sending your kids to college, when you talk about healthcare, all sorts of stuff, there's, it's inequities. That doesn't mean you ever have to have a perfectly equal society. But who, who said anything that equity is the problem? Can I give you a couple examples? Okay. You know that we were in the publishing business with the super luxury market mm-hmm. not too long ago mm-hmm. with Rob Report. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, you could stand on a pier in uh, Fort Lauderdale and a boat would go by, not just a boat, but I mean a boat. 150, 160, 180-foot beautiful yacht. Maybe it was built by Christensen here in America. And you'd look at the guy who was on top of that, probably with the the right kind of wife and a perfect kind of a view, and you'd say, you know what, someday that's going to be me. I'm going to have a boat like that. And what's changed in society is instead of that, and by the way, then you go back to work. You might go get yourself educated, but you live in a country where a lot of people can affect their lives. Not everybody. Some people are just kept down, and I believe that. But some people can affect their lives by the intensity of their effort, by the clarity of their choices, by the willingness to take chances, and they could go from an apartment to that boat if they try. But now, when someone stands on that pier and they look at that boat go by, you know what they're thinking? They're thinking that that's a bad guy. And he took it from me. No, I don't think that's that's, not true. I don't think that's how most people think. First of all, I don't think. Oh, that is how most people think. They resent the rich people. Some. And most of our politicians are getting elected, especially on the Democratic side, by, by vilifying people with money. Saying they have to pay their fair share. Well, we can talk about fair well, share. Paying your fair share but is different from vilifying well, people. Well, let's let's let's, let's <laughs> focus different. on this this guy on the boat because well, I want to finish no, the I, guy on the boat. So the, you the, want to finish the so, guy in the boat? Okay, what's happening well, yeah, with the guy in the boat? Yeah, because let's talk about him. When he bought that boat, do you know that in Seattle he put three hundred and fifty people to work for a year to buy that boat? 
Because where do we think these these rich people, where do we think they keep their money? In some pink little porcelain piggy bank? Mm-hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. They live high off the hog, right? They mm-hmm. and and do you think that if they hold so their money, like they're having a, a passbook savings? Well, in a way, I guess it is. Let's talk about someone who's got billions. Where are they keeping their money? Do you think they're keeping their money under their pillow? Nuh-uh. What do they do with it, Jane? They'll trickle down economics. No, no, don't, don't, don't go to uh, the well, classic. Well, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, but but it's folk, true. People tell with me money what you think they money. do with their money. Mm-hmm. What do they do with their money? They spend money. Some of it. Well, not not they don't spend the majority of it. What do they do with it? You tell me. You've had more money than I have. They invest their money. They put their money to work where they're going to get the greatest return. So they invest in other companies. They invest in building real estate. They build buildings. They they now and by the way, when they do it right, it increases their wealth even more. But what do they do with that money? They put other people to work. They spend their money, and they invest in companies and concepts. Why do we feel, and by the way, when we want to get back to that whole pay their fair share of taxes, the share of taxes should mean the percentage. Not the dollars and cents, Jane. The share of taxes for someone who has that kind of money is very often paying about 55% or 55 cents on the dollar. So explain to me why the paying the now you know there are loopholes. Oh, in real estate, for if example, if you're talking people loopholes. at that level, I doubt they're paying fifty five percent of their taxes. Very often they are, but it still keeps them. It still gives them a lot of money, Jane. And when they when they make a lot of money, let's say based on capital gains, why do we give a different rate of taxes for capital gains? That's a good question. Why do we? Should we? Because we want them to invest. We want them to invest. I think that's not entirely the case. When the government has a dollar, do you know how many times that dollar goes through the economy in a year when the government spends it? No. One and a quarter. Mm-hmm. When someone spends that dollar on a gizmo, or they go to the grocery store and spend that dollar, do you know how many times that dollar goes through the economy in a year? Seven. You know how the government works, how they pay their bills... What if a government dollar is spent at the grocery store? After the government dollar is paid to an individual and that individual spends their dollar, I agree with you, it'll go through more times. But you know that's not how the government works. And when you get into taxes, by the way, I know I'm confusing the concept of taxes versus the cavern between the rich people and the people who have uh, little or nothing. And all I'm saying is I don't think that one is affecting the other. I don't think that the fact that someone is rich over there is keeping me down. I'm the only one who's keeping me down. I understand how you feel and how you may have picked up that thing, but I don't think uh, the problem is that people are blaming the rich guy for the reason they're poor. I think they're blaming the rules of the system that are, are disproportionately helping the wealthy and not helping those who aren't. What kind of rule do you mean there? Everything from, <laughs> let's talk about minimum wage. Are we really such a poor country that we cannot afford to pay our workers a living wage? And by a living wage, I mean a wage that if you have one job and work 40 hours a week, you're going to be able to buy groceries and have a roof over your head. The current system is too skewed to help those who are wealthy 
and not help enough those who are not. Let's talk about one of the one of the solutions to the psychological problem. Feeling that in some way the fact that that person on the other side of the seesaw is rich and I am not. So it's their fault. And what I would like to see if we can change in this country is to solve that issue of people who don't have enough food, people who don't have enough roof over their head, and people who can't think about setting their lives straight because they don't know where their next meal is coming from, so they can't think straight. So this is one of my biggest desires, is that we look at the concept of universal basic income. Jane, you know this is one of my pet mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. now. And by the way, this is something that's happened to me by hosting this show over the course of the last year. And the problem is everybody's going to hear that and think, oh my God, he wants to do this. Well, let me tell you what I want to do. I want to have everybody in the country get $20,000 a year, not 12, not six, not a little bit of money so they're still starving and you're not accomplishing anything. I think everybody in the country who, A, has not broken the law, and B, doesn't matter whether they're employed or not employed, they get $20,000 a year. It's got to be such a powerful program because there is a difference between this universal basic income and what you've heard from a lot of these other politicians. I don't believe it's free money. I believe anybody who gets this free money has to devote a day or two a month to something that they happen to be qualified for. So yes, I'm talking about funding enough of this so that you have people in an organization who can help Jane, for example, find out what she could do to donate to society, and we'll give you $20,000 a year for that. And everybody, every single person would live with enough food, with a roof over their head, and we as a society would be creating the great America that all of us want. And you know why we're not doing something like this, Jane? Why is that, Bill? Because of the fear of taxes. (laughs) Because anyone who's willing to tax enough to do something like that is going to basically scare the people with the money away from taking a look at what they would actually like to do to society. I don't think that it's really true that people don't care about their neighbor across the tracks. I think they do. I think they choose not to because they think they're fighting a war. You know why I don't want to pay extra taxes? I don't want to pay extra taxes because I don't currently trust the government to spend the money in a way that I think is fiscally appropriate. I think the government will waste money. So if there were a program like everybody gets the money so that it's not something where it motivates people not to work or any of the things where people are criticizing that program for. And I do not believe that you should pay someone who doesn't work more than you're paying someone who does. You have to pay everybody, but you also have to require that they do something for it. And you also have to require that companies don't take that into account when they hire somebody. So why is it that we can't in this country of all places have the rising tide float all boats to absolutely eliminate poverty? $20,000 a year. I say Bill Curtis for president. We may need to do an entire show on this plan and take a deeper dive. Talk about a stimulus package. Wow. So one final question. Jane, Bill, what is our goal here in America? Everybody has this vision of what this country is capable of. 
and I have a vision that I think is shared by a lot of other people that this can be a country that takes care of its own, that gives people opportunity, that doesn't keep people down for race or gender, that doesn't abuse other people for their beliefs. I think we can have a country here if we pay attention. And we built this show called Meet Me in the Middle because we want people to pay attention to both sides of every issue and come out from the middle and realize that some very complicated issues are best solved by listening to each other, by understanding what the concerns are, and by solving them rather than coming up with rhetoric to divert your attention from a problem at hand. And in the case of what I would visualize for a goal in America is none of it matters if you have millions of people who can't eat and don't have a roof over their head. Because then whatever success you can claim, to me, is irrelevant. Well, I would endorse your vision for America. And I think a lot of what we've been talking about today is how to get us back on track to fulfill that vision. Because we've, America's had good times and bad times, and we've gotten off track. The thing that made America great and the thing that made America the leader and truly the light of the world was that it was both the land of opportunity, the land where more people and ever more people were really enfranchised and made part of the game, and the land of everything's possible. So I liked your concept, Bill. As we wrap this thing up, Jane, I just want to say one thing. It's been a while since this country has gotten in line in one parade after one cause mm -hmm. and actually worked together. Right. I would have to say World War II, we probably got behind that. By the way, after coming and kicking and screaming, by the way. But finally, when we got in, everybody was in. We were bound together by one cause. We had something that we were all proud of. By the way, July 1969... When we landed on the moon together, I think we had a moment where we were all together. And you know when else we were together as a country? 9-11. After we were attacked. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So here we are, a country that probably since September of 2001, we haven't had a moment where we were all together looking to solve one problem. Wouldn't you have thought that that could have been COVID, by the way? That's what I was going to say. Clearly it wasn't. It was a mess. It became a political cesspool. Yeah, but if you had a true leader in the White House at that point, COVID was something that could have and should have and would have pulled this country together. But for whatever reason, we have allowed this society to become a tug of war where we're pulling on a rope against each other rather than crumpling up the rope, putting our arms around each other, and going to get a drink. And I would vote for the latter. That's it. You're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> this is politics. Meet me in the middle. Jane Albrecht, thank you for joining us today. And Joey, especially a thank you to you. I appreciate you stepping in and, and keeping us on track. Thanks, Bill. Jane, great stuff. Our show engineer, our editor, and our guide for this show, Joey Salvia. Thank you very much for doing this. Our executive producer for this episode of Meet Me in the Middle is Stuart Halpern. Mixing and sweetening by Steve Rickyberg. And the music, of course, for Meet Me in the Middle is composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick. Don't waste your time hunting around for our next episode. Hit the subscribe button 
right now. We'll see you next week, folks. It will be okay. From Kirkco Media. Media for your mind.